Hey, Redeemer friends and family. This Sunday, we had a power outage a few minutes in to our sermon, which then deleted the first few minutes of the sermon from this past Sunday, February 28th. But now we have the the rest of Cody McMurray teaching on Exodus 19 and the purposes of the law. All right. So the first purpose of the law, the first purpose of the law is to make, is for God to give it to us in order to make us his love, in order to make us his love. Uh, you say, Cody, how, do you, how did you get here? How did you get here? Um, because he already loves us, right? I just explained that. He clearly really loves us. He saves us. Whenever you save people, you typically love them. Whenever you choose people, you typically love them. So um, what, am I, what am I talking about here? In verse, chapter, or, or in verse 5 of chapter 19, look what that says. It says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you will be my treasured possession among all the peoples. Among all the peoples. You know what this means? When a king, when a king is the king, he's in charge of everything, right? Uh, he, he owns the land. He owns the roads. He, 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 owns, he owns it all. But every single king also has a bedroom. And in the bedroom of a king, there's typically little things that are meaningful. Meaningful to a king that is considered his treasured possessions. And look what God is saying right here. He's saying that you're going to be my treasured possession if you obey and keep my covenant. If you obey and keep my covenant. So let me explain and let me illustrate what this kind of looks like to us who have no idea what it means to be under a monarchy or anything like that. Whenever you're in a love relationship, whenever you're in a, a good, healthy love relationship. Let's go back to the beginning of the, the love relationship whenever it's all exciting and, you know, butterflies and you just kind of like jump around whenever you're about to go see them and you're really excited about it. What do you begin to do whenever you start dating someone that you are falling in love with? You begin to study them, right? You begin to study them and you play that little game and you're just like, you know, 20 questions and you're just like, uh, I was like, well, so what's your favorite color? And he's just like, your eye color. Your eye color is, the, that's, that's my favorite color. And you're studying to see if that, like, worked. You know, like, you're just like, oh, or just like, really? That's your favorite? I, like, I don't like my eyes. Like, okay, don't bring up the eyes. What are we doing? We're studying this person that we, we have affection for, that, we, that we're growing in love for. And so what begins to happen as we are learning about the person that we are falling in love with? We begin to understand that our happiness and joy is wrapped in the happiness and joy of the other person. Whenever we are falling in love what happens to us is we look at what that, other, that person loves, cherishes, makes them laugh, makes them smile, and we say, I'm orchestrating my life around those things because her happiness or his happiness is wrapped up now in my happiness, in my happiness. And so that's what, that's what God is doing here. Do you see what he's doing here? Obviously, he loves the people of Israel. He saved them. He chose them. He, he rescued them. 
He was their great God. He got them with his strong arm and with the staff and through his mediator. He, he saved them. And you know what he's doing now? He's looking to his people, his beloved. And he's saying, now I want you to understand what I delight in. Did you get that? Now God is saying through the decree of his law, I'm expressing to you what brings me joy, what brings me delight, what brings me happiness. And this is the amazing thing about the law of God is he is communicating to his people. This is what it looks like for us to have a mutual love relationship. I already know what you like. I'm the God of the universe. I, know, I knew your needs. I knew you were in slavery. I went and got you. I went and rescued you. I listened to your cry. I listened to your voice. I gave you and supplied everything that you needed. I gave you water. I gave you bread. I supplied all of this with your grace. Now listen to what I desire so that you and I can be in this mutual love-filled relationship for all of our lives as long as the covenant lasts. You see what, it's, see what I mean? God is saying, now look what I delight in. So that as I pursued you and entered into a relationship with you, now you will know how we can treasure each other. I won't just treasure you. I'm the one that saved you. I'm the one that pursued you. I'm the one that went after you and got you. But now I want to reveal myself to you so that you can know and you can understand what delights my heart so that you and I can have a joyful, love-filled, mutual relationship with the God of all that is. He's showing us through his law what he delights in. He's showing us through his law what he enjoys. He's showing us that, hey, honesty, that's good. Uh, 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 Obedience, holiness, that's good. Justice, that's good. All these things that he is laying out as, as broad principles of what I cherish and I desire, he's saying, pursue these things and we will have a treasured, joy-filled, love-filled relationship all of our days. And here's the amazing part of this. Listen, here's the amazing part of this. Is what God decrees through his law isn't just good so that we can pursue him and love him and say, I want to give back all the things that you've given to me. I want to give back honor and affection to the things that you love that bring you, that put a smile on your face. But everything that is good that God decrees is ultimately for our good as well. All goodness comes down from him, from the Father of lights. Everything that is good comes down from him. And so God is revealing his character to his people so that we can say, what you delight in, I will delight in too. This is the first point of the law. The first point of the law is for us to understand that God is revealing his heart to us so that we can be in deep, intimate love relationship with him. Deep, intimate love relationship with him. Point number two. What's the second point of the law? Well, we see it right here in verse six. It says this, that I will make you into a kingdom of priests in a holy nation. He wants to make us into a holy nation. He wants to make us into a kingdom of priests. Uh, so 
this is something that we need to grasp because whenever we embrace the good things of God that are found in his law, the moral law that reveal the character of who he is, we will be a distinct culture in this world that the Bible describes as no one seeks after God. No, not one. We're going to be the distinct culture that loves the things that God loves and hates the things that God hates. Why is the law given? So that we can be a holy nation. He's helping us in our evangelistic efforts by giving us the law. He's helping us distinct ourselves from the world. This is why a Christian can't just look at the grace of God and be like, oh, I can live however I want. Why? Because I'm saved by grace. No! He saved us for a purpose. He saved us for a purpose. To to be the light of the world. To be a city on a hill. That's what Jesus says, right? In Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, it says, You are the light of the world. You're a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. He's making us into a holy, distinct community. A holy, distinct community. And this is what's crazy. As you and I read that, and I know I'm, I'm going to read your mind a little bit. You read that and you think to yourself, oh, okay, I need to be, I need to be the salt and light in the world. That's what I need to be. So whenever I go to work or I go to class, I need to be studious. I need to take my notes. I need to uh, be respectful. I need to be kind. And that will help people around me know that I'm a, I have high moral character. And then maybe someday that they'll ask me why I'm different. And then they can come to church with me and listen to Cody yell at them for a little bit. And then maybe, then maybe that will help them know and understand uh, the grace uh, of Jesus. And, and like, that's not wrong. That's not wrong, but that's not what it's saying. That's not what Jesus is saying whenever he says, you are the light of the world. See, we have a distinct advantage here in the South. We have uh, a second person plural for you. What is it? Y'all. Okay? It's y'all. In, in, in the Southern Baptist um, version of this, I don't think it exists, what, what's really going on here is he, Jesus is saying, y'all are the light of the world. He's saying the church is. The church is. But here in our Western individualistic thinking, we read the Bible and we think Jesus is just speaking to me. He's just talking to me. The epistles are just talking to me. Whenever he gives me a directive, that's, that's a directive to Cody McMurray. That's a directive to Kona, Jonah Kirby. That's a directive to Samuel. It's just talking to me. Obviously, I'm reading the Bible for my edification, for me becoming more like God. And that's not untrue, but it's not the ultimate truth. The ultimate truth is this, is that God is turning us into a holy community. He's saying, y'all are the light of the world. That's what's going on right here. You cannot be a community for, to yourself. You just can't. You can't be a community all by yourself. The epistles, Romans, was written to the Roman church, was written to the church, was written to y'all, y'all Romans. I know that's not right, but you get what I'm saying. You Galatians, you plural Galatians, that's what it's talking about. So much of the Bible is written to the community of faith, the community of faith. So whenever we see the purpose of the law, it's to transform us into a community It's to transform us into a holy nation, a distinct nation that loves the things that God loves and hates the things that God hates. So there's this shared unity in this community. You know what this means? It means that Christian communities are not not black and white, black or white. 
Christian communities are not rich or poor. There is no partiality for those who are in Christ Jesus, which means every single church needs to be representative of their community. It doesn't need to be uh, a distinct differences between because the true community of faith that the Bible is trying to talk about, the Bible is trying to reveal to us is, hey, there's no Old High Church and Hershey Church and Ryder Church. No, it is just the church. It is the church that has organized in different uh, communities of faith with different visions, different heartbeat of what they're trying to communicate to the lost world around them. And we all come together as a community of care, of respect, of a shared purpose, which means we use our money differently, we use our power differently in our relationships, we use our status differently. Everything is different about us. Why? Because we're holy. We're utterly distinct. God is making us holy. How? By giving us the law to meditate on and to make us like our beloved, to make us like him. To make us like him. Okay? Uh, I was, as I was studying for this, I, I noticed in my reference Bible a, a quick passage over to Deuteronomy 15. I was like, oh, interesting. I typically always read all these. And you know what Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 4 and 5 says? It says, if you obey all my laws, if you obey all of them, you know what it says? There will be no poor people among you. Mm. Don't you want this community? If you belong to the family of God, every need is met. Every need is met in this community. There should be no poor people among you. The, 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 the law of God is justice all the way through. All the way through. It's revealing to us the character of his nature, what he delights in, what he desires for us to be turned into, which brings me to my third point, which is, I already said it, but he's not just turning us into a holy nation, but he's making us into a kingdom a community of priests. A community of priests. What do priests do? Priests show people who God is. The law is here to, to form us into a people that don't just act distinctly, but show people what it means to be dis, a distinct people. This is why we're called a gospel-centered, disciple-making family. We have a purpose, our high priestly role in everywhere that we go. You are not an employee first. You are not a student first. You are a Christ follower first in everything that you're doing. Why? Because God is making you into a holy nation, a kingdom, a priest who uses your gifts, your influences, your, the people that you're around to point them, to point them to the ultimate glory of God which is revealed in the good news of Jesus. That's your primary primary purpose. Why? Because he's making us into a kingdom of priests. And this is how the world operates. I don't have to explain this to you, but I'm going to just for, for contrast. The world says, hey, um, uh, country club over here and blue collar over here, and y'all stay in your place. Uh, Hershey people over here, rider people over here, y'all don't intermingle. Um, Midwestern state over here, Vernon, y'all don't hang out. Y'all don't hang out. The world segregates itself quick, doesn't it? Black, white, rich, poor. Or to put it in a little lighter way, STEM people over here, accountants and 
and, you know, science-y people. You accountants go over there and you play your intricate board games like Codens of Dunshire or, what, or whatever it is. And you all stay over there and do nerdy accountant stuff. Musicians, you all stay over here and you all just do arty stuff. And you all just talk about uh, the arts and all that. Business owners, you all find your own club over here. And you all do this. Blue collar, you stay over here. Liberals and libertarians, you all don't ever talk about bombing in Syria or politics or anything like that. Because that's just a recipe for disaster. The world separates them. But the community of priests in a holy nation, we come together under the bond of Christ. And we say, we don't care what our differences are. Whenever the world sees us loving each other, whenever we shouldn't love each other, cherishing each other, laying down our lives for each other, meeting each other's needs in a way that the world is dumbfounded, what does Jesus say about all this? He says, this is how the world will know that you're my disciples, how you love one another, how you love one another. The law of God is here to help us understand who we are. We are to know and understand the person and character of our great God and conform our lives to it. We are to understand that he is making us holy through this word. And we need to understand that he is giving us a purpose, a purpose to proclaim the good character of our great God and King. Well, how do we apply this? Let's apply um, a couple of things real fast. That means that this Sunday morning, this cannot be a religious ritual for the church. This can't be just a one-off thing that you do. Uh, Ryan talked about this and w- while he welcomed us. This is not the fullness of our relationship with Christ. This is just a, a, one of the things that we do to encourage each other to gather together, to be a, a called together koinonia fellowship body of believers who are then sent out on the same mission wherever we go, wherever we go in different gospel communities. Listen, families operate under shared convictions. I get asked this question all the time, like, what? Cody, why does Redeemer make you go through membership before you function in the life of the gospel community? Why, why do that? Why would, you, why would you do that? That's not, a, that's not a fast way to grow. It's not a fast way to grow. And I say, yeah, I know. But at the heartbeat of who we are, we want to be a family. And families have shared visions and values. Family, uh, we, we want to give you an opportunity in this room to ask your questions and be like, I, I don't know if I'm on board with this, that, or the other. And let me figure it out before I jump in to the overall discipleship process that Redeemer has. And that's a, I think that's a good thing. We need to do that as, as churches. And so uh, we, we're always, everyone is welcome here at our Sunday gathering, but I'm primarily trying to teach and preach to the called out sent ones that have said, my life is going to be devoted to the mission of God here in Wichita Falls, Texas, um, to reach those in my sphere of influence, to bring glory to God through my proclamation of the good news. That's the, per- that's the point of it. And I encourage you today, we actually have a, a thing that is open to anyone uh, today. Uh, the, one of the bedrocks of our church is called Grow Groups. And like, Cody, I've never heard you even talk about Grow Groups. I know. It's through the membership process. You know, it's like the shared vision and values thing that we got going on. And really the bedrock of who we are, it, the, 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 the crux of all of our discipleship happens through our Grow Groups. It's where you're accountable 
If you want to be a holy nation, you have to look at the community of people around you and say, there, is, there, there can't be any leaf unturned in this broken, sinful heart of mine. And you have to be devoted and committed to a group of believers that are going to say, hey, I'm going to make sure I'm going to make sure that I'm pursuing Jesus and you're pursuing Jesus. And we give each other free reign to be able to say anything, anything to help us live out our roles as high priests for the most high God in a holy nation, in a holy nation. Because the Bible, listen, this is radical, um, but it's objectively true according to the word, according to the word of God. The Bible says this, listen, God didn't form a mission for his church. He didn't think, oh, I I saved all these people, and now I guess i got to figure out something for them to do. He didn't form a mission for his church. He formed a church for his mission. And the primary mission that he has is glorify. My my glory is going to spread all throughout the earth. And how does it spread? To the good news of Jesus. That means that we have to come together as a community and say, How are we glorifying our great God and King? And how are we looking at our lives so that nothing, nothing is left unturned so that we can be a holy nation, so that we can devote ourselves to love for each other? Because remember what Jesus says in John 13. This is how the world will know that you're my disciples, how you love one another, how you love one another. So we got all of these things going um, for us. Uh, the, The first point is, Uh, that we delight in what our beloved delights in. The second point is the law forms us into a community. The third point is to show us that um, that God's purpose for us is to be high priest. And this is the fourth point. The The law shows us how your heart really operates. The law actually shows you how your heart works. That's the point of the law. That's the point of this whole thing. Martin Luther who was super, super brilliant and uh, studied the Bible way longer and way more thorough than I have, says, beneath every single sin is an idolatrous heart. You know why that's significant? Because what's the first commandment? You shall have no other gods before me. And he said, you want to sum up why you sin, why you have bad behavior, why you um, are angry at me right now? Because you have something on the throne of your heart other than the purpose and joy of God. That's what Martin Luther says. The purpose and joy of God is not on the throne and not on the throne of your heart. And that's what we need to uh, try to understand. Uh, Let me give you a kind of a a silly example just to lighten things up a little bit. You might be like, "Why, um, why can't I manage my time well? Why do, I, why do I mess up in all my time management? Why do I make all these plans? And um, if you're anything like my wife, who, who's at home sick, uh, <laughs> uh, she fills out, you know, like a really pretty, like, calendar on a really pretty notebook. Like, why are you spending so much? You, ha- you know you have to open that up and go look at it every day just to figure out what you're doing. We have these things called Google Cals that send you alerts of, like, what you need to do right now. But she loves it. And we still don't manage your time perfectly. We spend all of our time doing it. like, well, if she just had Google Cal, right? If you just had Evernote, or really if you just integrated your work calendar with your family calendar, and we do all of these things to try to manage your time better, and we just fail. 
over and over and over again. Can I get an amen? Is, am I the only one? Or, or, or are y'all also struggling with managing your time well? Well, here's, here's my point. Why do we struggle with managing our time? Why do we struggle with managing our time? I, I would imagine it's one of two things. Probably, number one, um, you struggle with managing your time because you can't say no to anything. Right? Something comes up. Someone needs your help. Blah, blah, blah. This, this deadline comes. Um, a new opportunity comes. And instead of saying, no, you know what? Jesus is my rest. And he, through the law of God, he commands me to rest for 24 hours every week and to just enjoy him and delight and do all these things and bring up my kids and instruction this in the Lord and to make disciples and do all these things. I was like, well, I can't, I can't do all that because people need me. And I just say yes over and over and over again. And so what's underneath that? Um, I disregard the law of the Lord. Why? Because underneath, I want people to like me. I want to have power in social relationships. I want to be seen as the guy that can get stuff done. That's what's in And God is not on the throne of my heart whenever I'm acting in that way. Or it could be something, you know, kind of just as serious or silly, depending on how hard it strikes you, with, um, like, really your selfishness is dominating your life to the point that you say in your heart, What's best for me right now in the moment? That's why you cancel your plans with your friends last, last minute again. Because you're just like, you know what? This YouTube video isn't done. Uh, I really would like to finish it. And you know what? I got to get ready and I don't want to do that. It's just easy for me to send a text and say, sorry, I can't do it. And so we're, we're addicted to what? What's underneath that? Our comfort. Well, this is more comfortable than actually going and following through with some of my plans. I'm not actually prepared for that Bible study, or, or I'm not actually ready, or I don't even like that person that my, my friend invited to you know, our coffee date. And so it's just easy for me to send that text message and, and send it away. We're addicted to our comfort. And so underneath all of it is not um, necessarily poor time management, but it's something else is on the throne of your heart, which God says have no other gods before me. I should be on the throne of your heart. But what do we do? John Calvin says that our heart is an idle factory. They just keep on pumping them out every day, every morning. We can't help. We can't help. But see over and over and over again that we can't fix ourselves and that we're constantly looking to fix ourselves. So what does the law reveal? The law reveals this. It reveals the, condition, the true condition of your heart. It reveals the true condition of your heart. Because here's the thing. Here's the thing that's kind of important in all of this. The law, again, isn't what saves you. We talked about that at the very beginning, right? The law is not what saves you. But the law does reveal something about you. It reveals your brokenness. It reveals your brokenness. The law is like an x-ray, Right? If you broke a bone, if you broke your, your arm on your one wheel or something like that, or just walking down the street and you just fell, uh, or whatever, uh, what does the doctor do? Well, got to figure out what's going on uh, in there, and so they take an x-ray, and they say, yep, your arm's broken. This is what no doctor has ever said in the history of the world. Five or six more x-rays, and that, that bone will be healed. No. Doesn't make any sense. Five or six more x-rays, no. What... 
What is an x-ray going to do to that? Nothing. See, x-rays just reveal that you're broken, but they're not the antidote. And what the law does is it reveals to you the condition of your heart. It shows the x-ray of your heart and where you're actually standing so that it can point you to the solution. It can point you to the real healing. Which brings me to point number five. The law was never meant to heal you. It was only meant to drive you to the blood of Jesus. Look at verse 8 of our, of our uh, section of Scripture. Look what it says. It says, All the people together answered together, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Dummies. <laughs> right? It's totally dumb. They didn't have the law uh, long enough. It hadn't worked. It hadn't revealed the condition of their heart yet. They didn't know that they were utterly broken to the, to the very core. They didn't even know. They were so narcissistic that they didn't know that they couldn't keep all the law of God. And guess what? The law of God was read to them in their presence in Exodus chapter 24. It says the book of the covenant, verse 4. So if you're in your Bibles, turn over to there really, really quick. And it says this. In verse 7 of Exodus 24, he says, He took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. They said it again after they heard the law. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. But you see, they, they hadn't checked the x-ray yet. They hadn't let the law of the Lord, Lord work its way deep into their heart to reveal their brokenness, to reveal how broken they actually were. And look at what verse 8 says. It says, And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people. And behold, the blood of the covenant of the Lord has made, uh, has, the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. What on earth, what type of horror scene is that going on in Exodus 24? They said, we will obey, and then he just pours blood all over them. Well, uh, back in the day, back in the day, it was not a written culture. It was an oral culture. And oral cultures, uh, contracts uh, were, were written out, were not written. They were dramatized. Contracts were dramatized so that they really remembered it. And whenever they passed down the story, that's a story you don't forget, right? And then he threw blood all over us. He's like, oh, I will never forget that because I was icky and yucky. And I didn't like that. And so uh, that's what they did so that they would remember the story. But what is it revealing? What is it showing about what's going on? What is it showing? Well, in those cultures, because of the the drama, they said they would do something like this. In Genesis chapter 15, this actually happened between God and uh, Abraham. And it said he cut a bunch of animals into pieces and he put them on top of a tent so that the blood was dripping down and they were going to walk through. And the whole point of it was, if I don't uphold my side of the covenant, may I be like these animals. Cut in two, sawn in two. And here's the crazy thing. In Genesis chapter 15, you've probably heard this before, two people were supposed to walk through the covenant But in Genesis chapter 15, God took Abraham, he made him fall asleep, and God walked through all by himself. And you know what that says? It says, I will uphold your side of the covenant, 
and I will uphold my side of the covenant. So that means whenever the people of God said, all that it says we will do, we will obey perfectly, and they had no idea that they didn't stand a chance, God said, if you break it, I'll pay the penalty. If you break it, I'll pay the penalty. And this is the point of the law, to show us the holiness of God, that whenever you and I fail, whenever you and I break the covenant, God is the one that's going to pay the penalty. And you know what's amazing? You know what's amazing? Is Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took the the cup and he said, this is the cup of the blood of the covenant. Take this into you in remembrance of me. And the disciples were like, are you changing? Are you changing what's going on? He goes, no, I'm fulfilling what's going on. Because you didn't uphold your side of the bargain. You didn't obey the law of the Lord perfectly. But Jesus obeyed the law of the Lord perfectly in our place. That is the hope of the law. Is you can look and meditate on the law of the Lord. And whenever you see the x-ray of your heart that I don't do anything like this. God is so holy. He's so different than me. You can say, yeah, but Jesus lived this perfectly in my place. And therefore, you can take the law and it it can become usable to you. You can look at it and you can study it and you say, look at the character and goodness of God. I want to be in right relationship with him. I want to look at what it, I want to experience what it's like to be with him every single day. And you can look at the directives of God and they won't be burdensome to you. Because you'll know and understand that you are not accepted by obeying the commandments. You're already accepted. Therefore, obey. He loves you. He cherishes you. And he was sprinkled. He poured out his blood for you so that you could be sprinkled and cleansed from all of your sins. Do you see the character of this God? He is both just and justifier. He revealed in his word how he was going to uphold his holiness. This is our God. He's utterly different. He's utterly distinct. And he's calling you and I to be utterly different and utterly distinct in this world. But not as individuals, as a community, as a community the Most High King. If you're here today and you're not a part of a local church, we encourage you, encourage you to jump in because that's where He's going to form you into a holy nation and a kingdom of priests. If it's not here, there's a lot of great churches here in Wichita Falls. Devote yourself to them Jump in with both feet. Open up your heart to them and say, look and reveal. Communicate the good news of the grace of God until it washes me completely clean and it sends me on his mission for his church. Okay? Let's pray.